0: Hi, I'm Rena Grove And I'm Madvi Romani. And this is Misinformed, the podcast for lazy but smart people. Every week we'll be discussing a different trend or topic, so you can stay informed the easy way. So, Madhvi, what's the topic this week? Today we are talking about attachment styles and attachment theory with integrated attachment coach... Christina Karanting, who is based in Berlin, where she coaches in person and also internationally online. Welcome Christina. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) Yeah, thanks for taking the time to share your expertise about attachment theory. So we're gonna start with the most basic question for everyone who doesn't know what is attachment theory and where does it come from?
1: Okay, so I'll I'll try to make a long story short. Attachment theory is developed by two British psychologists in 1969, Mary Ainsworth and John Goldsby. And the theory is about your early childhood or your early upbringing, shaping the lens you see the world through based on the experiences you have as you are growing up. And within that, you have people who end up with an insecure attachment, and they fall in a certain category where you have different types of insecure attachments, and you have people who end up with a secure attachment. But it's all a spectrum so you can have someone who has maybe a a first level insecure attachment but a secondary uh, secure attachment so they're like less insecurely attached or you have someone who has like a secure attachment with a secondary like maybe a bit of avoidant but they're primarily secure attached so it's it's a spectrum and you can have like different forms that comes in
0: that is fascinating because This um, attachment theory stuff has become really, really big on Instagram recently. Yeah. And they always say there are four categories. You're either anxious or in- insecure yeah. attached, avoidant. Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, Disorganized yeah. attachment or secure attached. True. And then it's like a bit like a personality test where you're like, yeah. oh, I'm that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and one of my questions really was going to be, I think a lot of people are self-diagnosing themselves using... <laughs> 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 love the way you're rolling your eyes. <laughs> no, it's not a bad thing, but it's... it's yeah. yeah. So I think a lot of people are self-diagnosing themselves on Instagram, mm-hmm. and then they say, okay, I'm anxiously attached, for example. Yeah. And if you apply this label to yourself, mm-hmm. then you conceptualize yourself in a certain way yeah. and every interaction you have in a relationship in a certain way then you have your discussions in a certain way yeah. you're like i'm anxious you're it, and then yeah this is that's how discussions go <laughs> real, real dialogue yeah um and then all of your discussions and your resolutions will just go across these kind of simplistic sort of ways so yeah yeah, what are the risks you see in this Instagram stuff
1: I mean I feel like self-diagnosing isn't the best route to take personally I wouldn't I would take it with a grain of salt what you see with it on Instagram and always consult someone who's more yeah like a professional but yeah once you have self-diagnosed it becomes like what you kind of described, you know, this one thing. And maybe you, you're you even wrong, you know, and then you're living your life that way. <laughs> so that's the hazard of self-diagnosing. And personally, I would, I would advise against it. You can do it for fun. But to actually take it as something that now is the truth, I think that's quite dangerous.
0: But I really think... Nobody is doing it for fun, really. Yeah. I think, like, when you look at all of the Instagram accounts and stuff, there are thousands of people um, engaging yeah. in this way. Yeah. And another thing, since we're talking about Instagram, that I noticed because I was looking at all the accounts and all the stuff before I met you, yeah. is there are some things about avoidant uh, attachment style. Mm-hmm. And then in the comments... <laughs> <laughs> people are angry people <laughs> really don't like avoiding yeah, people they're like yeah. i would never those people are narcissists, blah, blah blah like what's going on christina <laughs> uh,
1: i i know uh that a lot of people are like upset with avoidance we have to differentiate right because if you are have a dis- disorganized attachment you also have an avoidance side Right. Should we
0: maybe just so people, because people who have not been like spent like the last twenty hours on Instagram <laughs> like me, do you want to maybe just explain first like what avoidant is yeah. as an attachment? So thing?
1: you have a, a purely dismissive avoidant, we call it, and that's an attachment style who basically had all the basic needs met in early child bringing so uh, upbringing, so a roof above your head, a bed to sleep in food to eat but not the emotional needs of a child met so they have no emotional yeah they don't have the language to communicate the emotion and like as a side effect of not engaging emotionally with their parents or with their caregivers they kind of suppressed their emotion and saw that it's a bad thing to have because obviously it's not getting any attention so that kind of makes me a weird person to be feeling all of this stuff so maybe we should just shove it down and as a result Then growing up and interacting with others, they seem quite cold and distant and just because they didn't learn how to engage with people on an emotional level. And then you have the disorganized who also has an avoidant side, but because they have their anxious side, they're very tapped into their emotions and then they learn to shut it down in certain situations, but they're never completely shoving it down the way a dismissive avoidant would. Mm -hmm. so that's a bit the two different types of avoidance we have and the reason for the outrage uh, under a lot of the posts is probably because if you meet someone who's really cold you automatically assume that they're bad that they're uh, uncaring that they must like we have this whole story about scrooge right like this cold person who's not caring who's greedy who has all these things that society we deem as negative and when somebody shows emotions or care or vulnerability, we automatically soften. And I think that's one of the reasons why we're easy to shit on dismissive avoidance, because they seem to, first of all, not be affected by it because they don't show their emotion. And even if they feel it, they suppress it. And then on top of it, we also associate people who don't emote that well as um, yeah, bad people, I guess.
0: So. It's a bit like the introvert-extrovert thing. Everyone's always like, oh, how to become more extroverted yeah. if you're an introvert. But nobody yeah. says to an extrovert, like... Become more introverted. Nobody yeah. says that. Yeah, yeah. And then the other theory I came up with while I was looking at all the Instagram <laughs> stuff. I'm sorry, you have to you have to answer all my Instagram yeah, questions. Yeah, yeah, of course. But I, but I think it's going to be actually the same questions that a lot of people would have because mm-hmm. they're getting their information from yeah. this. My theory was because apparently people who are insecurely or anxiously attached, Mm -hmm. this style kind of go with avoidant people quite a lot. And in my theory, because they are so like, what am I feeling and trying to tap into and trying to like pushing towards something, Mm -hmm. they're the people in the comments. Those are the people.
1: Those are definitely the people in the comments. (laughs) It's definitely not the dismissive avoidance in the comments. They're probably somewhere writing like <laughs> they're doing something they're looking- hobby related you know like they're not focused on relationships why because relationships and emotions have been like so laced with negative associations that that's not their primary like need they have so much fear around it and the people who anxious people who love love so much they're the one frustrated in the comments thinking like why aren't you loving me back you're awful yeah right <laughs> <laughs>
0: There's so many feelings on Instagram, oh my god. <laughs> yeah. What is the difference now when it comes to like what you do mm-hmm. and a therapist, for example? Like, and, and how do people know what course is best for them? Do they need an attachment coach or do they need a therapist? How do they even know they have an attachment issue?
1: Yeah, so okay, I'm going to try and uh, section the, the questions off. So first of all, a therapist often actually always deals with the past. So you dig into your past to find out what happened and then possibly talk about it. And depending on the therapist you have, maybe um, solve it, right? Depends on the therapist you have, because some people just end up doing talk therapy. And then you basically are just regurgitating what happened and talking about it. What I do is more based in the present. So we Like initially, when I do an intake, I do go a little bit into your family dynamics, into your relational dynamics to find out what is your attachment style and to like really solidify hey, you are probably on the spectrum of anxiousness or whatever. And then we don't go all the way back to your early childhood because some memories are just like suppressed or not even in your conscious uh, memory. We go to today because whatever you're affected by today is what's still bothering you right so we talk about situations that trigger you and there we start to find out what is underneath it all uh and then we uh i go into reprogramming i talk about that a lot on my instagram and i'm sure people are wondering what is reprogramming but it's essentially like using the subconscious mind where everything is stored emotionally to remove the old programming old stories old it hurts old identities that you may have adopted as a child you know children make like really simplistic associations that they see their dad or mom leaving and they're like oh it must be me right and as an adult we have more capacity to see other stories but what happens is that we then never question these stories and we carry them all the way into adulthood we still carry them and make those automatic associations because that's what's safe and familiar. And it's almost like your brain has this automatic signal to jump to that conclusion that you made as a child, because that's what you know. And so we work to reprogram that. So basically, I work with four pillars. So with reprogramming, with personality needs, meaning that There's essential needs that every person has that drives them to do what they do every day. And for everybody, that's kind of a different mix. Mm -hmm. And if you know what your mix is, that kind of gives you light to why you're doing what you're doing and how you can change that.
0: For example? So
1: let's say anxiously attached people, they have a very big uh, need for emotional connection. And often they haven't learned to emotionally connect to themselves. The way they learn to emotionally connect to others is by abandoning themselves. And what happens is is if you have a personality need for an emotional connection, you basically have a bucket, right? And you want to fill that bucket up with emotional connection. But not knowing how to emotionally connect with yourself and self-abandoning means you have a hole in that bucket. So you're trying to get from everybody else putting that emotional connection in the bucket, but it keeps spilling out so it never holds, so you Mm. will always want more, and that kind of creates that addictive element that sometimes an anxious person has with love, and what I then do is help them, or help whoever I have in front of me close that bucket, if there are any holes, and then find healthy ways to fill that bucket, so that you're not um, moving from a place of dependency on uh, other people, but from a place of personal fulfillment, yeah, so that you feel more whole, and not needy, that's kind of the personality needs part mm-hmm. so uh, number three is then boundaries uh and i think uh, people underestimate how deep you can go with boundaries and how how many levels of boundaries there are i i see a lot of posts on instagram about boundaries and then they're like yeah i said no and that that's the boundary yeah i mean that's a boundary but uh we have like seven different boundary areas right we have the area of work which I feel like people kind of handle well in terms of boundaries. You have family, you have uh, your personal uh, relationship with friends, you have your relationship with yourself, you have spiritual boundaries, physical boundaries, financial boundaries. So there are many boundaries to think of, right? And once you learn how to say, let's say, no to working over hours at work, it doesn't mean that automatically. You learn how to say, "No, I don't want to pay for everybody else's dinner because i'm not uh i don't feel comfortable doing that like we grow up in certain cultural structures that maybe expect us to do certain things and those boundaries aren't always considered as something that needs to be looked at more closely. And then we have spiritual boundaries or maybe mental boundaries where not speaking up when you have a certain thought or a certain belief system and you have someone in front of you who you know that might uh, react in a certain way. Every time you're not voicing your truth there when you actually want to, there is a boundary being crossed, right? There's a boundary where somebody else is prohibiting you from just showing up as you so there are so many boundaries and every time a boundary is crossed whether it's big or small it kind of depletes you or it's kind of like a paper cut in a way so the more you have a handle on those boundaries the more solid you move through the world mm. yeah so that's a part and then we have a part that is uh, called nervous system regulation work and that works for more with the body because a lot of times when you're insecurely attached mostly The dismissive and the the disorganized needs to do this work for real. The anxious also can benefit from this work, but they're less dysregulated in their nervous system than the other two. So let's go back to the dismissive avoidant who never had the framework of what emotions are actually. Now we have to like learn to identify emotions and identify where they exist in the body. Uh, What kind of reactions or responses you feel when something happens and preventing them from suppressing it and actually feeling it. That's the first step for a dismissive avoidant to come back into their body because they've been dissociated from their body so long and living in their heads. And for a a fearful avoidant, for instance, they have very big emotions and they kind of live in a state of a lot of fight and flight where chaos has become their subconscious comfort zone. And that means that you're always using kind of your your survival um, mm. modus instead of your rest and digest modus. Mm. And so I meet a lot of fearful avoidance who thrive off of always being busy, always moving, always never a dull moment, always seeking excitement and never resting and actually being a little bit weary of, being rested and just landing in their own body and so that's something that needs to be done for them to uh, be able to accept circumstances that are calm and non-dramatic and <laughs> just because they grew up in dramatic households yeah sometimes or they were yeah like exposed to a lot of chaotic situations uh growing up
0: oh boy yeah
1: so that's uh, the four pillars that i work with <laughs> Came a long thing.
0: So you mentioned a lot of different boundaries and a lot of different contexts mm-hmm. there, and I was wondering, like, who comes to you and why? Like, which relationships are they talking about most? So what
1: I've noticed is that most people come to me for they notice things about themselves. So I would say the relationship to themselves. They don't say it that way, but I, it's it's like an inner dynamic that they want to work on. Maybe like a, a lot of negative self talk or just like low confidence. So people come with very general questions because a lot of the times they get referred by somebody who's not necessarily, uh, who didn't come to me thinking, oh, I have an attachment problem. But I feel like everything comes down to an attachment problem. So every mental thing that you're going through is influenced by your attachment style uh, or can be resolved through attachment work. And lately, I've been having some people who uh, are in relationship uh, to another person and uh, have certain questions around it or uh, are a bit more focused on love. But overall, it's people who have things they want to resolve within themselves and are noticing maybe like some stagnation or stuckness in, in a certain area of life, whether it be work or just like with themselves feeling like really low or not even low but uh, sometimes just kind of all over the place uh, or um, chronically overwhelmed and stuff like that
0: in recent years the attachment thing in my opinion has just really exploded like everyone kind of knows what it like a lot of people know what it is and interacting with it and it's in magazines and everything but like you said it came from 1969 yeah what happened why
1: now yes <laughs> yeah i think pop psychology in general is like very popular and the thing with attachment is it's such a framework and so easily kind of like with zodiac science where it's clear like everybody has their own category to choose from or to be in uh, and i feel like people gravitate towards stuff like that whereas you can have just general psychology and have terms like codependency that also comes back in attachment theory but if you just hear the term codependency and i'm codependent it just doesn't give you that sense of you know like oh this is me and now this means that i'm this and so i think people like attaching themselves to attaching themselves to <laughs> to something that's like really laid out because there's so much information it's basically like oh i'm this attachment style and that means so much like that i can get so much information on about myself and people love learning about themselves as well so I think that's the, the pull
0: uh, when it comes to titles and styles. So you mentioned codependency, mm-hmm. and it's in the DSM, like the Diagnostic, whatever, yeah, mental, yeah. <laughs> whatever the long title of that book is. Um, so it's classified as a mental disorder mm-hmm. in the West. And you mentioned also before different cultures, because yeah. then in some cultures, this codependency is actually the norm yeah. and it's very much like a western sort of thing to be like very much independent right? Mm-hmm. and I was thinking about this in terms of attachment because I was um, watching a interview with Sigmund uh, Baumann who's written a bunch of books about liquid modernity and liquid love and everything and he's yeah. saying we're living in times of unprecedented change and you know, if you look at cities, the way that we are, like, nothing is permanent. All of our permanent, strong things mm-hmm. have disappeared. Our stable relationships have kind of disappeared. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering, because say if you're an anxious attachment style, yeah, and you know in the past when women were, like, all diagnosed with hysteria... But you're like, yes, but you didn't give women the vote or education or any money or any of course uh, they I mean that's a normal response yeah, yeah. so I was wondering if there's a focus on like you should be securely attached mm-hmm. or you should be a secure and like almost like you should be independent. Mm. How does this fit in with the wider frame? of the world because is it not in this context that we're living in where you know you've got tinder and you've got bumble and you've got multiple uh, relationships and polyamory and all the marriage is broken down the family is broken (laughs) down and everyone's craving some sort of like something to hang on to for me it makes sense that somebody is anxiously or insecurely attached because it's a sign of the times maybe Mm. what are your thoughts on all of that
1: okay so first off i wanted to say about like the cultural part where early on, when I came in contact with attachment theory, there was this notion that there's a very small portion of the world who's that a disorganized, yeah, attached, who has a disorganized attachment, which is not true. There's a very small portion of the Western world that's a, that has a disorganized attachment, but the rest of the world, I think, is primarily disorganized attached. It's kind of like the common thing, right? So that's one thing that kind of irked me a little bit because it felt like, oh, this is such a special thing when my family my entire family and all the fa- other families i knew and saw and everything i was ex- exposed to was very much that and then to go back to the the idea that when you're securely attached then you're super independent that's actually a, a sign of more a avoidant person mm. who's super independent and i feel like our western world is very much avoidantly attached, like where Mm -hmm. we live. And I sometimes look at different cities and I give them their attachment styles because I see kind of the energy... Oh, that's a disorganized attachment for you. (laughs) Sorry, I just pointed... (laughs) We
0: should not do that on the podcast. I just pointed to where we are now, which is Berlin. Yeah. And it's it's disorganized. Disorganized.
1: Yeah, yeah, 100%. And and so uh, what I question, if there's a city that I would deem securely attached... But the idea with insecure attachment is that you don't have this overly individualistic life. It's actually one of interdependence, where you can also lean on yourself, but you also lean on your community, on your friends, on your loved ones. And without that, that's actually a sign of insecure attachment. So when you can't oh, do that, when okay. you feel like you should only lean on yourself, or you should only be by yourself, that's actually pointing towards a more avoidant uh, oh, attachment. Okay. And then there was another part of uh, something that you asked, but I... I,
0: Well, it was this idea of, do you think, yeah, the sign that we're all a bit messed up when it comes to attachment is a sign of bigger structural problems. And yeah, we can maybe work on it as individuals, but we're really coming up against maybe a lot of other bigger things. And what what do you think about that?
1: Yeah, so I also uh, sometimes, for fun, actually look at uh, how societal structures play into your attachment and of course you know having a secure attachment style is almost like having an armor of stability for everything else that comes towards you in the world so it's not so much like a um, demand of oh this is what you need to be it's more of a demand of this is how I can move through the world more easily that makes sense Mm-hmm. And then I look at different layers like sexism, racism, queer phobia, fat phobia, and all of those things. How do they play into having a, an insecure attacking style? Because what I feel is if you have that basis at home where you feel secure, and that's how you were brought up. And like when you're little, things stick way better because you have other brainwaves that are being made uh, so that you're being programmed. And that program sticks quite hard. So if, you're, if you've brought, if you been brought up secure, you have an easier time navigating towards all these isms, not because you're invincible, but you, you know that you have like a support system, a backing mm-hmm. that tells you that it's not me that's wrong, but it's the world that needs to catch up to me. Mm-hmm. And when you have an insecure attachment, there's already so much questioning about your worthiness. If there's something wrong with you, if you're a burden, if you're too much, that's already coming from the household. So if you go out into the world and somebody says, oh, it's wrong to be a gay person, you maybe internalize that and you're like, maybe it is wrong because you all, you've you already heard so many times that there is something wrong with you. Maybe that person who's speaking out against you is actually right because that fits with your narrative about yourself. So I don't believe that our society or the like our societal structures create insecure attachment, but I do think it, it exacerbates the insecure attachment that is already there if you're not the privileged norm let's say
0: i guess like say if you're a child in a household of you know many children and you don't and your parents don't have the resources to give you time and attention yeah right yeah. based on poverty and mm-hmm. like societal inequality yeah then that s- creates yes and no because
1: I would say obviously you need to live, you have to, and you need food on the table, and and that not having that will, (laughs) will not help your (laughs) attachment. Uh, so it kind of also depends where you are in the world, right? Because now I'm speaking from a Western perspective where certain baseline things are kind of expected, you know? So it kind of also depends where we're talking about. What are we talking about geographically? But if your parents are working a lot, and that's the situation that you've been brought up in, it's still their way of bringing you up. That's still a choice, right? There's still some choice in it. It doesn't mean that it's the easiest choice to then say, hey, I'm going to work less hours, but there's always some room to maneuver to maneuver and to decide that maybe bringing up that child with some extra attention is more the priority than having uh, enough money to send them to, to uh, a certain school right Mm. and I believe it's not the the actual circumstances all it's more what is being prioritized and what do we what do we as a world believe in that is the most important it's kind of hard it kind of depends on your you know like some people just really need the money or need to work or so once you get out of that survival mode or once you get out past that Baseline of oh if we don't do this That means that we don't have food on the table We don't have the like uh, Light going on then we start looking At okay what are the choices being made That put the kids in the situation That creates an insecure attachment mm-hmm. So it's also a bit of a privilege Thing to be able to think about your attachment style and to decide as a parent or whatever to do differently than what you grew up with.
0: And an education thing, because um, therapy has never been uh, available like it is now actually through Instagram, which is a good thing, yeah. but it's never really these tools and this way of thinking has yeah. never really been available no. to previous no. generations of poorer people. No. But since you mentioned it, your own background, how did you get into this and why are you interested in attachment in attachment uh
1: so i think i don't know maybe 10 years ago was the first time that i read about attachment and um i saw these different categories and i read about the avoidant purely when i'm like mm, i have some traits of that but that's not me anxious i have found very unrelatable secure also then i found the disorganized one and i thought mm, that might be me and then it said but if you have this attachment that's uncurable like basically you're doomed and i was like okay that's not me. <laughs> Yeah, I was so like, I'm like, okay, that's not me, because you don't want to hear about yourself that, that, that that's a while ago, right, before we had all these new, um, this new information about attachment, but it basically said you're, you're screwed. So I, I pushed away that idea that I might be a disorganized attachment, uh, and then I went on about uh, with my life, and then I came across some information that said about this disorganized attachment, hey, I know that traditionally people say that you're doomed with this attachment style but actually it is solvable and uh, that was the first time I heard that and that gave me like I think that opened up the door for me to be more interested in it and then I started reading more about it and uh, also watching YouTube videos about it and then there was this one lady who really almost to a T described my inner world because I was very much disorganized attached and I thought, oh, well, there's something in this because this is the first time that I've I've heard what is going on for me and I've been to multiple therapists and I've had situations that feel unsolvable for me and I never knew what the problem was. I just decided that there's something wrong with me. And now somebody's explaining to me that there's nothing wrong with you. Actually, that's this attachment style that I already thought that I might've had and that actually I can do something about it. So that gave me hope and that, that was... The start of the rabbit hole that I <laughs> dove into after that.
0: And who was the woman? Uh,
1: her name is Thais Gibson. Uh, she's uh, um, in Canada, a psychologist, and has been working uh, in attachment for, I think, over a decade now. And, uh, yeah.
0: <laughs> so you just said you saw some bullshit about <laughs> about disorganized not being uh, curable yeah. in yeah. some way. yeah. Which, I'm interested in that, but I'm actually interested in, do you see any bullshit On Instagram I'm sure you do and can you just give us some examples of stuff not to believe like that
1: yeah I see so much bullshit that I started not looking at anything anymore so I'm gonna try and the thing is also like now understanding me being on Instagram myself understanding that you can't put all the information in such a short time frame or like in such a short post that I understand that a lot of people are kind of like trying to just get to the the gist of it not meaning to misinform people But let's see. I have a pickle, or how do you say that? A pickle to something to... I have a bone to pick. A bone to pick with the book attached. Because they don't mention, or they don't go deeper into the disorganized attachment. It's more anxious and avoidant. And uh, I feel like that's again leaving out this disorganized attachment where so many people are actually faced with a disorganized attachment. And... It kind of brings me back to that point where this organized attachment, first of all, was described as a group of people that is like very, uh, like the smallest percentage of people in the world who have the organized attachment. And secondary, that it's kind of like something that is not. So it kind of like, triggered me in a way where I'm like, why is that not discussed more in the book? But I want people to be aware of it, That is, it is actually a category and it's not the same as anxious or it's not the same as an avoidant. Discourse. Do
0: you want to say what it is? So
1: basically, every attachment style, the thing that defines them is their inner world, right? It's their inner experience of the emotions that they go through when something happens. And when an anxious person is faced with, let's say, abandonment, they go, oh, it's me, uh, and self-blame a lot. And what they feel often is more hurt, wanting to not withdraw, but just go into their shell or like cling on to the person. But if the person is already gone, like be very sad and hurt. And just kind of, they don't have that innate trigger to want to stand up for themselves. Whereas when you have a disorganized attachment who, within the spectrum of fight, flight, freeze, or fawn, they have been trained often to fight. So when somebody, when they're faced with abandonment, they can get super angry. They have more the emotions that are, like, more activated and sometimes seen as, like, a bit turbulent or chaotic. So uh, their inner world. When somebody abandons them, they probably go, "Well, fuck you. You can go." But but they're actually hurting. But <laughs> <laughs> but instead of that the, that withdrawing and closing off, they become angry and sad, and then they they regret being angry and sad or if they said it to the other person then there comes this cycle where they're like oh shit maybe I shouldn't have said that and then they then they go into their anxious side and maybe apologize and try to fix it and then when the other person doesn't respond in the way they want it they go again fuck you I didn't want this anyway so it's a very different emotional response and a very different inner experience than the anxious person is having when it's this exact same situation that they're facing when the dismissive avoidant is abandoned and you might not believe it, but they actually do care when it's somebody they love, they go, see, I, I'm not good at the relationships anyway. I already knew it. They have a very big wound on being broken. They believe that they have like an innate sense of brokenness. So they basically say, see, I'm not made for this. I'm not made to love people. I already knew it. Why did I try anyway? So their inner experience of being abandoned is also a very complete different one. And that's kind of what differentiates all the attachment styles. It's not so much, you know, being anxious all the time or disorganized. All time. It's very much the inner experience and then the outer reaction that follows, which makes these three different
0: categories. Can I ask you another question about disorganized? Because yeah. <laughs> you said a lot of the world is disorganized. Can you like elaborate a little bit more on that?
1: So I feel that... When we discuss situations where we don't have everything in place, we don't have our basic needs met, the only outcome that I see as an attachment is a disorganized attachment because that, that means there is a sense of chaos, whether it's in your everyday stability. It's always a insecurity. Whether If it's an insecurity, whether you're going to get food on the table, it, it creates imp- unpredictability, right? And that's kind of the basis of a disorganized attachment that they don't know what they're going to get from day to day and so i feel like most of the world who's not uh, who are not part of this
0: more privileged bunch in the yeah, west yeah
1: yeah are facing those situations
0: yes. and mm. that's right.
1: just a yeah a byproduct yeah. of that and, uh, and when we get to that stage where we can offer all these things that's when we maybe you know can give somebody enough attention to make them anxious, <laughs> and because like an anxious person, I think you know as well is like created because they just uh, they get a lot a lot of love and attention, but there's also some inconsistency in that meaning that maybe mom or dad goes to work every day, and then the child sees that as a form of abandonment, but they still have like a very warm and very positive view on connection because they get enough of it, right? Mm. And that's only possible when you get out of that chaotic, insecure, or inconsistent, or unpredictable lifestyle of knowing whether you're going to get food, when whether you're going to get um, a roof over your head, when that survival modus is, is off long enough. And the mm-hmm. same with dismissive avoidance. It's only when you have enough food on the table and, you know, they get their basic needs met. So I feel like that's, yeah, that's why.
0: I understand. Mm-hmm. Any
1: more bullshit? uh bullshit yeah so i i do see a lot of people talk about dismissive avoidance being narcissists and that's kind of the furthest from from the truth the people who tend to be i don't know if it, i'm gonna get shot for this one but <laughs> tend to end up in in uh, narcissism are either more anxious leaning and secondary sometimes this so the anxious um attachment is kind of like the the biggest group that ends up in narcissism and secondary is disorganized attachment so dismissive avoidance is like not at all (laughs) the type of person who would end up being this i love it that
0: is so interesting yeah because they
1: don't have that need to be feel special or need like have people validate them as much they they don't they kind of like have learned to be independent from
0: people yeah they're chill they're just pushing down their own needs needs. actually yeah so why would
1: i need you to supply me with something if i'm pushing down that need i'm pretending it's not there then
0: i completely understand yeah Yeah. it's not narcissism at all that is so funny considering what i've just read (laughs) yeah and we talked about different cultures. I just wanted to talk, because we're a feminist podcast, yeah. about different genders. Mm-hmm. Have you noticed any trends or do you know of any, you know, information about how the different genders attach? Or Yeah,
1: so I think traditionally, uh, women tend to, not even traditionally, it's more like stereotypically, we tend to get pushed into the anxious category. And then stereotypically, men get into the dismissive category. And I don't know if you've ever witnessed the discourse about feminine and, and masculine energy and I always laugh because it's I, I see a lot of like parallels when it comes to attachment. Uh when it comes to that. And when it comes to people who are non-binary, it depends also on how they navigate the world. Mm. So If I can also get into sexuality, I I do notice a lot of queer people fall into the disorganized attachment as well, and so I have this thing where I also look at celebrities sometimes and how they are received, and um, uh, funny because I also watch this YouTube where uh, the hopeless romantic society where that focuses on queer people and every time they have like a little interview it's always about betrayal and like about situationships and it's so very um, distinctive of having a disorganized attachment because sometimes they thrive off of drama a little bit uh- <laughs> and I mean anxious attachment can also but like they're more like gossipy than drama oriented and now I'm kind of, <laughs> I'm very much over generalizing so
0: but it's interesting. It is just interesting to see how different, yeah,
1: how different uh, yeah, groups are. Yeah, how different yeah. attachments are, and um,
0: so interesting. We need to go for a drink. We definitely uh, <laughs> need to go for a drink. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. We will link to all of Christina's Instagram and her website and how you can get into contact with her on our newsletter and follow her. Uh, she has amazing insights. Don't get all of your information of instagram please go to a coach or a therapist if you need one or talk to someone to figure out what you do need yeah <laughs> thank you so much thank you if you like this show please share it with your friends and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts you can also help us by supporting us on patreon for as little as four euro a month visit patreon.com slash misinformed For links to all our sources and for our personal tips on what to watch and read, subscribe to our weekly newsletter at misinformed.substack.com. You can follow us on Instagram at the underscore miss underscore informed or email us your feedback, request, or just to say hi, misinformed.podcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you.